Well, good morning as we gather on this Tuesday in the 21st week of Ordinary Time. These two gospel, this gospel narrative today, these two readings, one from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians and the second from the continuation of the Gospel of Matthew. The, the situation is this. In Thessalonica, uh, the young church there, uh, Paul is writing this letter around 55 to, to 57 A.D., approximately then. In fact, 1 Thessalonians, that letter is the first narrative, the first letter we have of the New Testament. That's the first writing of the New Testament is Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. All of the Gospels follow the date of that writing. Thessalonians is, 1 Thessalonians is the first New Testament writing. And they have received apparently a letter or a teaching of something that's caused them some distress because it's telling them that the second coming of Christ, known as the parousia in Greek, had already happened and they're still there. So they're a little bit concerned. And he's addressing that, that idea that don't be overly focused on when the second coming happens. No human being can predict that. So anyone who's told you that it has happened or is happening is wrong. Just dispense with that idea because Jesus Christ himself tells us in Matthew 24, 36, I'm the son of God. I don't know when I'm coming back. Only the Father knows. So I offer that to you today. Many who worry it's the end of times. Fear not, loved ones. Jesus Christ himself does not know when he's coming back. So any human who attempts to predict that is just wrong. You're just wrong. In Matthew's Gospel today, chapters 22 and 23 should be read as a composite unit because in the 22nd chapter, Jesus is presented with four successive questions from the Pharisees. They're asking him questions about the teaching of faith. And in the 23rd chapter, Jesus responds with what are known as the seven woes. So chapter 22 is a challenge, the Pharisees challenging Jesus on very various matters of law, the Jewish faith. And in the 23rd chapter, Jesus is responding to them. And the key teaching we can take from today has to do with hypocrisy. Because the, the Pharisees were constantly antagonizing him about pecune matters of the law. And today, he picks up on, uh, as our narrative begins, he picks up on what is the fourth of the seven uh, statements of woe. And he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says that, by the way, seven times. Woe to you, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You pay tithes of mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier things of the law, judgment and mercy and fidelity. As you know from your own study in Scripture and your life in the church, the Pharisees were very, very focused on execution of the law to the most pecune detail. This offering of herbs harvested from their garden, that they would tithe a certain percent of their mint plant or a certain percent of their dill and be focused on that and yet walk by the beggar on the street and not be attentive to the needs of those around them or post guards at the synagogue to assess and measure someone's mode of dress or the length of their tassel or some other uh, physical external attribute expressing their faith but inside they were very very judgmental very judgmental about the others and he's very harsh in this 23rd chapter in addressing this. He calls them, in fact, you serpents, you brood of vipers. In the 23rd chapter of Matthew, if you want some exciting reading, read that because it's the most aggressive uh, redress or most aggressive 
uh, response that Christ gives in all four gospel narratives to others around him. He's very, very harsh to the Pharisees because of their harshness of the people in the, in the community of faith, in the Jewish community of faith. They, they were, we can picture them as being very arrogant. We can picture them as being very self-righteous. We can picture them as being very assumed in authority and perfection, and they were very judgmental on those around them. So we take from that our own self-examination that says, Lord, be it not that I am judgmental of others, be it that I examine my own self first before I look in the fault of another. Our saint this day, Louis IX, he comes into our world in 1214, his father Philip, his mother Blanche. Louis learns the faith through his mother. That's true in the case of many saints. They learn the faith through their mother. And he, he becomes king at 21. His father had died when he was 12. Philip died when he was 12. And so young Louis had years of formation with the minstrels and ministers and the counselors of the court helped guide him. His mother actually uh, was the regent queen of France while young, young Louis is growing in immaturity. He marries at 19 to Margaret. They have 11 children. They have five boys and six girls. Uh, he's a wise king. He's a very prudent king. He is very much in support of the church. He advances the cause of faith. We can look from him today as the, our great saint of inspiration because he tried to live the gospel authentically. As a ruler and king, he was not hypocritical. He judged himself first, the most harsh. His judgment on himself was the most strict, and then he would apply generosity and kindness to those around him. In fact, there were many who were plotting against him, and he, he was kind and considerate in their plots against him to do him harm, in fact, to overthrow him as king. He had them arrested, but he didn't have them executed. He, he was very balanced in his living out of the faith, and as I said, very, very considerate of his own walk in faith before he would judge others. It's nice to connect our scripture and our saints with moments of the day. I think most of you remember tragically the spring of 2019 when Notre Dame burned. You perhaps knew the news story of Father Fournier. Father Fournier was the chaplain of the local Paris Fire Brigade. It's Father Fournier who ran into Notre Dame, into the reliquy, and grabbed what is believed to be the crown of Christ, crown of thorns, and brought it out of the church. And that crown was there because Louis IX received that from Baldwin II, who was the Roman emperor in Constantinople in the 1200s, early 1200s, 1240 or so. And Baldwin II and soldiers from Constantinople, of course, had been involved in the Crusades in the Holy Land, and they had discovered relics of the cross, and they had discovered this crown of thorns, which had been kept in custody by the Christian community there all those centuries. And it was given to Baldwin II. Baldwin II gave it to Louis IX. Louis IX builds a chapel to house this crown of thorns called Sainte Chapelle. Sainte Chapelle. The only winery in Idaho is Sainte Chapelle, down in the south, near Boise. How about that? And uh, when Notre Dame is then built, Louis IX has the Sainte, uh, rather, Sainte Chapelle is near, is proximate to Notre Dame, 
And so visitors of the great cathedral could then go to Sainte Chapelle to see the uh, crown of thorns. And in 1801, it was moved from Sainte Chapelle to Notre Dame into the reliquy. And in April of 2019, Father Fournier rescues that crown of thorns. It is now in safekeeping. And when Notre Dame is rehabilitated and rebuilt, it will be returned. So we get to see in our living out of our faith, a very tactile, ancestral passage of our faith from one generation to another. Our theme today is not saving relics and buildings. It's rather on our gospel narrative, isn't it? It's living in humility as Louis IX did. It's the teachings of Christ about humility and not being a hypocrite. And it's going forth into our world today, first with our own self-examination and our walk in faith, and then taking our own self-examination, finding opportunities for improvement, but bringing that good news story, that hope into the world that's so hungry for that news. St. Louis the Ninth, pray for us.